whenever you start any business, it's going to be hard. You're going to have major setbacks, but like how often, like how much can you take like getting punched in the face and like keep on going? You need to get your dedication and your consistency like down packed as soon as possible because if all these different things run through your mind, so you, you might want to start investing in or doing this, like you need to get like super focused and picking one thing and just become extremely disciplined for at least 90 days, six months, whatever it may be. Welcome back everyone to the Learn Like a CPA show. I'm your host, Ryan, today. And we have a guest on that I actually got to meet when I spoke at the STR Wealth Conference in Nashville back in March. We had about, I think it was about 1,100 attendees there. It was an awesome conference. It's definitely the best conference that I've ever been to in regards to real estate. And that's been true for the two years in a row. So I, I spoke at the first one in 2022. I spoke at this one in 2023. And I will also be speaking at the one in 2024. But enough about me and more about Austin, our guest today. So Austin has a background in wealth management. Uh, so you began your career in a wealth management in Chicago, which is where I'm from, uh, at the age of 24, since moved to West Palm Beach. Currently has a portfolio of properties in Chicago, North Carolina, West Palm Beach, and Hollywood, Florida. Interesting fact about me, I actually just bought a property in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, Austin's also the manager of managing partner of the Lux co-hosts. And over the past 90 days, he's been able to bring properties under his team's management that will gross over $1.25 million in revenue. Uh, Austin is also passionate about helping new investors escape their nine-to-five job. Austin, how are you doing today? Doing good, my friend. Doing good. Excited to get into this with you. I'm glad that we've been able to stay in contact since the, since the conference. And yeah, dude, you just uh, you always bring so much value. So I'm hoping to be able to... Uh, reshare some of that with some of your listeners today too but um excited super excited to get into this and talk about all our deals that we have going on in florida uh with myself and you too so i think this is going to be a great episode so let me because i this is a question for you because we haven't been over this yet but did you meet me in nashville or did you hear about my brand before nashville or like when did you find out about my brand i'm curious yeah, man. So actually, so I was at the uh, the first SDR WealthCon in Nashville two years ago. And I saw you speak on stage. Um, so Ryan was like the youngest guy on stage by like probably like 20 years. So <laughs> super, uh, <laughs> super great motivation to see somebody um, around my same age bracket uh, speaking in front of over a thousand people. So you guys haven't been to the SDR WealthCon or you haven't heard about it, definitely look it up after this podcast. The, the biggest players in the SDR world, they come out there. So it's great networking, great value. I definitely recommend that. And then this past year, probably a few months ago, is when um, me and Ryan finally met in person and uh, we started talking from there. So been in contact ever since and it's a great guy cool. overall. So you, so you began your career in wealth management in Chicago. Where did you, where did you work at? Yeah, man, it was, uh, you, you're probably familiar with it. It's uh, one of the largest... Uh, banks in Chicago. It's called BMO, Bank of Montreal. Uh, so yeah, so I started there after college. Um, I had like a little bit of downtime before I started my role. So I graduated in December of 2018, and then my job started in like June of 2019. So um, before before I did that, I had like a like a short gig as like a valet before that position started, and it's really started listening to like bigger pockets how everybody else got started and just learning on my slow days like Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And then uh, that's really what uh, ignited my uh, my real estate investing career and what brought me up to Chicago to start investing there. Mm, you know, that's actually crazy because that's kind of similar to what happened to me. So I graduated in 
December 2019. And I had about six months before I started at Deloitte in uh, June of 2020. And I had all this like free time. I was studying, but I was also listening to a lot of podcasts. And that's actually when I got started in, in real estate. And so by the time I had started my career in uh, public accounting, I was like, screw this. I want to, I want to do real yeah. estate full time. So I think we had very similar backgrounds with that, except I didn't, I didn't really start with bigger pockets, to be honest. Um, I started listening to like real estate tax podcasts by mm-hmm. these guys. And I just got hooked on, you know, real estate tax strategy. And that's what I've been uh, teaching preaching ever since so yeah dude it's great i feel like we all like have like an aha moment but the majority of people they don't have the aha moment so they're like in their 30s they have kids and they have all this debt over their head and it's just like damn i don't want to keep doing this till i'm like 60 and retire and so one day dude i was just um i was sitting in this like rotation within like credit the credit side of the bank within wealth and i remember just looking over this guy and he was like probably in his like mid 50s and used to play like professional football or whatever and dude, he just looks so sad, man. He always looks so sad every single day. And I sat across from mm-hmm. him. I'm just like, dude, I'm never going to be that guy. When I get older, I got to figure out how to get out of here as quickly as possible. So then that's what led me into real estate and keep diving into it. So same thing as you, just learning, like, what's the quickest way to get out of this nine to five as quickly as possible? Yeah, I think there's something to be said, too. Uh, I, I, especially with our generation, we're, we're definitely some people to kind of poke at that arbitrary box that's set forth for most people and at least how our parents grew up. So I was actually with the Carwells this weekend and I was talking, I was chatting with somebody and talking about how, you know, society normally has this predetermined box that we're supposed to live our life in. So you're supposed to be a wealth advisor, an accountant, a plumber, an architect, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just supposed to decide at 18, 19, 20 years old, what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. And it takes like guys like you and I or other people to kind of like poke at that box and say, you know, why do things have to be this way? you know, maybe I can go out, you know, hustle and make some more money on the side and, and, and make that my full-time gig. I don't think there's enough people that are poking at that box. I think COVID did kind of light a fire under a lot of people to want to achieve financial freedom quicker, but it's just something that I noticed in our generation compared to our parents, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. I think could I said that better because we have so much access to information now compared to like what our parents did back in the day. We have like the internet, we have podcasts. I mean, we have events like I remember back in the day I was speaking to like my grandparents they started investing in real estate in like 2012 and they um the only thing they had was like those like uh, like tv commercial ads about like pitching like flipping houses right that was like the mm. only information out there back in the day and now like there's so many different like ventures that you can go down like it could be like real estate investing it could be like amazon sba it could be like a marketing company all these different things and all that information is just on YouTube, right? Like there's so much free value given out there that I me, mean, I was selling my, I have, a, <laughs> I have a younger brother now about to graduate high school next year. And I was mm-hmm. telling him, he came down here to visit me for his uh, birthday. And I just told him, I was like, hey man, you don't, you don't really need to go to college as long as you have the dedication and you'll learn everything that you want from YouTube. And I promise you in four years, you'll make way more money than what your friends are making whenever they graduate. So my parents didn't like that, that I told them that, but that's just my honest opinion. Um, from like everything that I've been doing. So. so you brought up something interesting there though. You know, from 2012 to 2022, let's just say, the amount of information in the real estate space has probably 100x itself. I'm very interested to see what it would do in the next 10 years. Because like mm-hmm. you said, 10 years ago, you know, it was flipping houses, doing these luxury flips, like the get rich quick thing. And now t- fast forward 10 years, we got people that are buying Airbnbs out of state. We got people that are doing, you know, deals, you know, not in their own backyard, 
it's just crazy to see how it's it's came in just 10 years. I'm very interested to see that what the next 10 years look like. Yeah, man. I think uh, before we jump down here, we were just talking about like the appreciation that we've seen here in Florida as a whole, like the whole market exploded in 2021, right? With massive appreciation, but dude, Florida is still growing and booming down here. So I'm super bullish on what the market is going to be. Like I posted, I told you, I posted a, uh, a photo today of this article where 833 people are supposed to move to Florida every single day up to 2027, which is absolutely insane numbers. If you really think about like how much supply that we have of real estate, builders can't keep up, like home prices are going through the roof. It's just going to keep happening here. I think honestly, man, what I've been saying for the past year is that South Florida is going to end up like turning into like the home prices of like Southern California as more and more mm-hmm. people move here. So, so, I think so to go back to your background, so what was your, what did your first uh, real estate investment or deal look like? Yeah, man, of course. So my first one um, was a house hack in a neighborhood called the near west side of Chicago. So if anybody's familiar with Chicago, it's, um, so you have the loop, which is like downtown business area. And then if you go west, it's West Loop, which is like where the majority of like the great restaurants are. And then the neighborhood to the west of West Loop is where I bought my first place. So it was a traditional duplex, but what I was looking for is the opportunity to add value to that house with um, the potential to add another unit. So in Chicago, we have these things called two flats, three flats, and pretty much just each level is like where a family can live. So I found a property super close to the, uh, the blue line, which is the train to go into Chicago. And it had a basement entrance on the front and a basement entrance on the back. So I was able to potential add a kitchen down there and add another tenant, which increased my cash flow by say like $2,000 a month. So I lived in one unit and then we completely rehabbed the unit. I started rehabbing it myself and then learned I didn't like doing that. Hired a, a contractor, paid too much money in contractor fees, then found a handyman and then finished up that project. And then literally within like six months, um, it like appreciated. I bought it for like 320 and then appreciated like at a value from my appraisal at 475. Literally wow. just from forcing that appreciation, the market going up and then the rehab. So, so yeah, so that's the first one that, uh, that I bought in Chicago and then just um, went into short-term rentals after that. So did you have to get it, when you added the next unit, did you have to get it rezoned or was it a multifamily zoning when you first bought it or how did that work? Yeah, exactly. So as long as you meet like a certain height requirement, you're able to like rezone in Chicago. I can't remember I think it's like mm-hmm. nine and a half or 10 and a half feet. As long as you can reach that, then you can go through the city and get that, uh, get that rezone for the, uh, the third unit. Uh, but it's, it's a pain. It's honestly a pain. And it takes a lot of time and effort to, to get somebody to do that. You need to find a contractor that has like gone through that process before just so that you can do it yourself. So you bought that first property um, as an owner occupied. And then what kind of mm-hmm. made you get into, cause I think you might've had the same realization as me when I first read my, uh, I, I remember reading like the Brandon Turner books and it was, Hey, you're going to get $250 a door in cash flow, And then, you know, hundred doors later, later, you'll be financially free. And <laughs> I think that was like late 2019, early 2020 is right around when I discovered, you know, this thing called short term models. And it was just like, hmm. Oh, wow. I mean, I could, I could replace the time and energy and effort to get 10 doors with the price of doing one deal, right. Potentially making two grand a month cash flow on some of these properties on, uh, so what was the, what made you make the jump from, cause then did you buy a short term rental in Carolina to start or where did you go? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, so I was moving down to West Palm, COVID had a hit 
I was tired of Chicago. I'm originally from Florida. It's way too cold for me up there, man. I don't know how you guys do it. Uh, the freezing winters. So I was just like, all right, I'm going to move back to West Palm. I'm going to do the same process again, but a long-term rental, trying to hit two grand in cash flow a month. And um, I'm looking down here and the prices for multifamily are just absurd. And the ones that aren't absurd are like in terrible locations, like absolutely mm -hmm. terrible locations, like in the hood, like don't want to walk down the block because you might not come back from the block. Well, so, right Florida, especially Hollywood, reminds me a lot about Chicago. Like, yeah. yeah you can be in the neighborhood, but if you're on the wrong street, like you, you might get your wallet stolen. Exactly. Right. Block by block. So, yeah, man. So, I'm looking at these multi family. It's not really making sense. Uh, I was using an agent down here for the first one, and she had a uh, short term rental in this neighborhood called Northwood, which is seen like stupid appreciation. Like, it's like the biggest jump in uh, Palm Beach County that we've seen for one neighborhood. She had one in there, and she was grossing like 175000 a year. I'm just like, dude, this is absolutely insane what these numbers are hitting. And then I, um, we started like, I started like researching different neighborhoods that have like non-HOAs with a pool. There's only a few different neighborhoods in South Florida because the majority of neighborhoods have like HOAs because uh, there's mainly like a lot of money down here in South Florida. So just, it's hard to do. Found the neighborhood, uh, found the next house, $420,000 and uh, uh, submitted the offer the same day, closed in 30 days. And then the first year that one grossed like 120K. So rockstar deal, awesome find. And from there, I just kept on buying. I bought more in that neighborhood, bought one more in that neighborhood. And then I started looking in um, North Carolina and uh, a smaller town called like Bryson City. So if you yep. find Asheville, anybody's familiar with that, it's like about an hour and 20 minutes to the, the west of um, Asheville. And it's on the other side of the Smoky Mountains. So everybody knows Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. But on the direct side of the Smoky Mountains, that's where Bryson City is. So I bought in there. Next one. Uh, it did decent. Uh, it wasn't the same numbers I was seeing down in South Florida. So from there, uh, I bought in Hollywood, Florida. And I remember looking at like the AirDNA numbers and like it was like supposed to gross like 175 grand. Um, things slowed down. Um, 2021 wasn't a thing anymore in 2022. So I think we ended up grossing somewhere around like, I want to say like 115, 120, which was still like decent numbers, but wasn't like a, a grand slam that we we thought we were going to see. So. Hmm. And and so the the short term rental that you bought in Florida first, did you use a ten percent down loan or how did you acquire it? Yeah, no. So that one I did a uh, ten percent down second home loan. Mm -hmm. So I still had my job in Chicago. Got in there. Um, interest rates were still semi low uh, for second home loans, but like if a lot of people don't know, what ended up happening is a lot of people started investing with second home loans in Florida, and so. Um, they, they started raising the interest rates for second home owners because people were buying them as SDRs, right? Because you're only going to live there two weeks out of the year, so on and so forth. But I was still able to get in there before like that went into effect. So uh, that was a benefit to my to my side. And then from there, I just started using um, DSDR loans to fund the rest. So if you're not familiar with a DSDR loan, it's a debt service coverage ratio loan that uh, you're able to finance it. Um, off the long-term rent. So as long as like the long-term rent support the current debt on that property, then you can uh, you can potentially make that a, a short-term rental for yourself. And it doesn't go off of your, um, your income, your W-2 income. And are you able to find that in Florida now? Like we just closed on a million dollar property um, and, you know, there's no way it would rent for 10K a month or nine, you know, as a long-term rent. Um, 
Because I was, yeah, I was under the assumption now on DSCR at least that it was just really hard to get those to pencil out, especially in a market like Florida where, you know, nobody's going to pay that for that. But I, yeah. but it'll still run for 200 grand as a short-term rental. Yeah. So, so personally, I've never bought it. So I like to stay within like a purchase price range of like 600K um, or less, like right at like 520 to like 620. Like that's where mm-hmm. I like to stay. So with like the current debt, you're, you're looking at somewhere around like 4K, like a month. And it's still possible to find places that sure. um, okay. that, that do it that way. But I mean, if you're buying a million dollar property, it's very, very difficult to like find, find a DSDR loan to like make those numbers work. Mm-hmm. And so what, how, how far along once you were buying properties, did you get into co-hosting or property management? Yeah, man. So it was funny because, um, Hey guys, just wanted to interrupt the podcast today. Let you know about my Facebook group, tax strategies for real estate investors. We have over 6,300 real estate investors in the community actively engaging every single day. You're going to learn all my top tips. You're going to get to network with other professionals and you're going to get to see all the past recordings and all the past posts in that Facebook group. So make sure you join today. It's going to be linked in the podcast below. And now back to the show. Yeah, man. So it was funny because, um, I had my own co-host. I was like managing my properties for me. I was paying them like 15%. I'm just like, dude, this is like, this is absurd. I could literally hire somebody, pay them like a salary. And like, I would probably pay less than what I'm paying my co-host. But mm-hmm. at the same time, my mind kind of opened up and I was just like, dude, like, um, like, why don't I just do the same business module myself, bring everything in house and I can manage other people's properties and, and make like an extra thousand bucks a month per property. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of this year, I started like, uh, my technique's a little bit different than how other people uh, find their co-hosting deals is uh, I source properties that are on the MLS that are furnished, no, not HOA pool. I cold call them. So I was cold calling. I was getting like a lot of traction with potential clients, but I didn't have like a strong operations manager in place. So I was reaching out to uh, this lady that was going to partner on this uh, boutique hotel with in Maggie Valley. Um, and I was just explaining like the difficulties I was having. She was just like, well, I've been doing this since like 2015. I have the systems in place. I think it would make like a good partnership. So probably I think like around mid February, uh, we went into the business together. We formed the LOC and then she's been taken off ever since. So she handles all the operations on the onboarding, everything like that. And I just bring on the new clients. And then from like our 90 days is literally, I think today or tomorrow from when we started business together. And now, like you were saying, like in the beginning of the call, we're at over $1.25 million in like growth revenue and the properties that we've been able to onboard. So it's moving pretty quick. So yeah, that's a little bit about like how we ended up doing co-hosting. Um, so you, you probably looked at one of the hotels that I looked at at Maggie Valley, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Was it, um, was it the Scottish Inn? No. No, it was in Scottish Inn. Yeah, it was, uh, it was funny. We were on a contract for the Scottish Inn and um, couldn't figure out our financing. It was just like that time of the year in 2022 mm-hmm. where you couldn't get financing for motels and like don't just fell apart. So is there, is there, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's funny though. Cause I think, uh, I think Bill ended up getting that uh, Scottish Inn deal. So we were talking to him and we were going through that whole process. Mm. Do you, so talk a little bit about how you're, your personal financing has changed since you've been uh, full-time self-employed now. Have you, 
are, are you at the point where you're doing DFCR or commercial loans to acquire your properties or what does that look like? Cause I know for me, uh, I just filed my tax return. So I actually have two years of self-employed returns, which is like the gold mine. And so now I can actually get, you know, traditional conventional financing on some properties, better terms than DSCR or commercial. So. Yeah, no, man. So like it's still DSCR for the time being, because uh, last year was like my first year going like full time in real estate investing. So my, my income wasn't substantial amount. So after this year, I should be good to be able to get some of that traditional financing moving forward. But I mean, honestly, if I'm taking down a hotel deal, like let's say it's like, I don't know, seven keys to 25 keys. Uh, I'm going to try with everything that I have to get um, some owner financing to do it. Um, just because, I mean, that's the best way, in my opinion, to to take down commercial deals at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, I mean, we're raising capital too for some of these deals too that we're, we're looking at. So probably be like the, like, I'm sure you're familiar with it, like how they do a multifamily at like a 70% LP, 30% percent gp split um that's what we're looking at uh, doing moving forward but mainly the goal is to get seller financing uh 20 down with like an interest rate of like around five percent lower better uh, but not much higher so you're so you're wanting the seller to take on the you're going to put 20 percent on cash the seller's going to take on the remaining 80 percent. yeah and then you do a balloon payment after five five years um refinance it and, and, and pay off the, uh, the other seller or get debt on the, uh, the property for the first time. So I'm glad you brought up the seller financing because this is something that I love talking about. Uh, and I don't have a lot of people to talk about it with is the idea of like buying old mom and pop run businesses and, you know, whether it is campgrounds or RV parks or hotels or even just some, the normal business. Like I listened to Cody Sanchez talk on, on, um, yeah, Andy Frisella's podcast and she, she, it was so funny because she talked about how when she contacted sellers, if they had like an AOL or a Yahoo email, she immediately knew that she could get a good deal. And that's exactly what happened when I, uh, when we bought a campground and it was the seller had an AOL email and you go online and like, they don't even have, they weren't even taking direct bookings for their campground. They were doing everything by pen and paper, like super outdated, inefficient. They weren't retargeting past guests, which I'm a big proponent of that. Uh, It's seven times easier to sell something to somebody who's already bought a product or service from you than it is to acquire a new customer. And I don't think a lot of Airbnb hosts are doing like retargeting ads or even Facebook Mm -hmm. ads, you know, implementing StayFi, grabbing guest emails. And that was a way we were able to kind of, because an interesting stat is, you know, the SBA has done studies on this and it's, they've said, hey, there's going to be so many of these small businesses that are going to, these owners are going to retire within the next few years. So their son or daughter doesn't want to take over the business and they quite frankly can't sell. Cause even if they sold their business, yeah, they're left with a bunch of cash, but if that cash is not making them money, uh, they're just going to blow it all. Right. And mm-hmm. so that's where like seller financing becomes pretty enticing to buy out some of these mom and pop businesses. Exactly. Cause usually these mom and pop owners, right. They, um, they're not living like extremely lavish, right? They're probably just paying their, their bills and then they have some extra like cash on the side. But if mm-hmm. you say, say they have like a monthly like expense amount of like $50,000 a year, that, uh, that debt that you're going to be paying them in like interest, like should cover their expenses. Right. And then like, Hey, look, I'm going to be paying you the certain amount over the next five years. And then we'll give you everything back as well. So where are you going to put this money? If you just take a lump sum right away. 
right? It'll give you a couple of years to think about like different investment opportunities that you could potentially go down and then still make enough money to cover your expenses and a little bit more on the side. It's all about like the pitch at the end of the day, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's uh, that's actually how I picked up my second property was the guy that I bought my first property from. And I didn't even know this at the time because I think I was just inexperienced and I and I should have looked on the county assessor website for his name because I would have known he had multiple properties listed. But I bought this duplex from him and it wasn't but maybe 10 days after. This was back when I was still at Deloitte, my W-2. And he, he messaged me. He goes, hey, I have six other ones for sale in the Chicagoland area. Are you interested in any? And I told him that my finance, you know, hey, I can't really... My W-2 only allows me to borrow so much money at the time. And mm-hmm. I said, are you, are you interested in seller financing it to me? And he had no idea what it uh, meant. And it took, uh, it took about two or three lunches and coffees with him to kind of warm him up to the idea. And because the way I pitched it to him, I said, hey, you don't, you don't want to have sell all these properties in one year because then it's going to stack on top of your capital gains bill. Your income is going to be super high. You, know, you want to like spread those out over a few years or, you know, and seller financing on the seller side is one way for them to stretch out their capital gain bill. So I just got the phone with somebody the other day where they're going to sell their property, their, their deal for a $500,000 gain. Well, if you sell it normally and pay the taxes, you're going to pay 20% of 500 grand. You're going to send hundred grand to Uncle Sam in year one. Versus let's say you seller finance that deal over 10 years, you spread out the 500 grand over 10 years. So you're going to be paying taxes on 50 grand every year for 10 years, 20%, 20%, 20%, rather than having to pay 20% on the 500 grand up front. And so oh, yeah. it severely minimizes the tax burden for somebody. And especially like a mom and pop that you mentioned that they're still going to need that paycheck to cover their expenses. It is, it is arguably, you know, the best pitch to somebody like that. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I never really thought about that pitch that way about the uh, the tax side of things. So you bring up a really good point there. Um, yeah, you bring up like a great point. Because not only are they not only are they paying less in taxes, uh, mm-hmm. but they're stretching it out over ten years. So it's like if if you give me a loan and you're like, hey, I want you to pay it back in one year, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm gonna pay it back over ten years. I'm winning. I'm winning at that point because like I'm deferring my cash outflow to you. And you're losing, in fact, because with inflation, by the time I give you that money in 10 years, it's worth a lot less than what it would be worth if I gave it to you immediately up front. So it, it, it is a, you know, it is a win-win for, for both parties. Um, have you guys used any SBA loans to acquire? No, I haven't, but I haven't used an SBA loan. Okay. Um, yeah, but we've gone through the process. It, it's not too hard, right? You just got to fill out all your, your, your net income and your net worth and pretty much what your assets are. Fill out that form and then you submit it to, to the bank. But pretty sure like SBA loan is like 10% down, right? And But the issue that we had though, because we thought about even doing the SBA loan with uh, Maggie Valley, but the uh, the lenders want you to actually like that to be like your main like source of income. Like you're treating that as like your main business. So we got some pushback because me and my partner, we have like property spread out across like the whole US. They're just like, or is this really just an investment? You're trying to take advantage of like a government loan. So mm-hmm. it just, they're very like particular about that. At least the lender that we were talking to at the time as well. One thing I would bring up, if anybody's thinking about using an SBA loan, it's a great way to get in with like low cash down, but be some uh, hurdles to get through. So what, let's take a step back. What are some, what would be some actionable advice that you give to people that are young and want to get 
into real estate or interested in property management or owning their own properties or, you know, just real estate in general, what, what sort of advice would you give to people? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing that I would say is you need to get your dedication and your consistency, consistency like down packed as soon as possible, because if all these different things run through your mind, so you, you might want to start investing in or doing this, like you need to get like super focused and picking one thing and just become extremely disciplined for at least 90 days, six months, whatever it may be. A good thing that I did at the beginning of this year when I started co-hosting that I might like recommend to like the listeners is do 75 hard, which is pretty much like building your dedication to see if you can actually get through like this intense program. And then from that point, once you finish the program, you come out like as somebody completely different. So one of my favorite quotes that a lot of people are that I heard one time when I first started investing in real estate, this was like three years ago. So it's like the reason people fail is because they aren't disciplined enough to be consistent. If you're consistent, you're going to end up getting there. But if you're not consistent, you're going to stop, start something new, and then you're just never going to get to the finish line. So consistency is everything as well as discipline. Yeah, I used to hear a quote a lot. Um, Dave Ramsey actually used to say it, believe it or not. But he used to say, discipline is the bridge between where you are now and where you want to be. And I think to your point, like a lot of people give up way too quick, way too early on ideas that you know don't work out. I mean, think about how many you know overnight successes there are. I mean, you know, Oprah is like an amazing example. Like she didn't get her first TV show until she was like 40, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like, you know, imagine if she would have gave up, right? Like, or yeah, no. uh, all these other people, and there's not, and I, I've, um, I've uh, admittedly, I've, I'm pretty big into lifting weights and working out. I, I tried doing 75 hard. I failed. Um, I think like it was day 14, just cause my body was the two workouts per day. I was, I was going hard as shit. And yeah. I, I didn't, I should have gone a lot. I should have just lowered the weight kind of made the light weights feel heavy, but I, yeah. I lost on day 14. So I'm, I'm actually looking to start it back up, but you know, doing a, something like a 75 hard, which is more of a mindset change than anything and mm -hmm. a discipline teacher. And then, you know, part of 75 hard is you have to read, what is it? 10 pages a day of a book. Exactly. exactly. And, you know, have, couple that with, you know, if it's 10 pages of a bigger pockets book, or maybe it's, you know, listening to a podcast while you work out or whatever, I think that 75 hard in tandem with the real estate is great because uh, I'll let you guys in on a little secret too. I think being fit, especially in a, I know at least on the accounting side of things, you know, most people are used to like accountants being like overweight, punch forward, you know, combine that with also like real estate, you know, having, being in amazing fit, fitness shape. There's something, I, I'll say this, I me, mean, I'm more likely to do business with somebody that's fit and super in shape because I could tell like they get their shit done and they're going to take care of, you know, I could trust them to take care of me and my money or my business. You know, if I see somebody that, no, pardon me, but like if I see somebody that you know might be overweight or like doesn't seem to care about their health, like why should I think that they're going to care about my business or my money, right? Yeah, maybe it's yeah, a bad outlook, but no, man, I think I think that's fucking, I think that's great, man. Like, the, if I see somebody that's fit, like and like works out like a lot, I can I can tell right away that they're a consistent, and disciplined person. You see somebody that's fat, man, maybe been in the gym like once a year. I mean how like you, you said it like the best like why are they going to be consistent and disciplined with any business i want to do with them in the future they're not mm -hmm. like i just i don't know i'm not saying that they're not going to but there, there's a higher possibility of them not compared to somebody that goes to the gym on a regular basis so 
just a little nugget right there for anybody looking to get in business with any infit, fit or fat people. Consider that. <laughs> All right, guys. So look, eat your protein, get some cardio in, but not too much. And um, yeah, just lift heavy shit. Don't be lazy. And, yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I think I think the other thing is, is like whenever you start any business, um, it's going to be hard. You're going to have major setbacks, but like how often or like how much can you take like getting punched in the face and like keep on mm-hmm. going? Right. Like that's, that's huge. Cause I mean, I have setbacks every single day with the co-hosting business. Some people say, Hey, look, I'm going to sign up. They decide not to sign up. I just say, okay, that's fine. I'm just going to keep moving forward because eventually somebody's going to sign up. Somebody's going to sign up, but Hey, if I stop, then like, I'm not going to make that extra cash that I want to make. And then the day you just gotta, you gotta be okay with saying like, Hey, look, this client might not sign up. Maybe they do, but I'm just going to keep moving forward no matter what. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, anything else before we wrap it up? No, man. I think, uh, I think we touched on a lot of good stuff uh, for sure. Um, I hope that we added some value here for the listeners and then um, feel free to reach out to me as well. Anybody that heard this podcast, happy to answer any questions. Yeah. Where can, where can listeners of the show find you? Yeah, man. I'm on, uh, I'm on Instagram. It's uh, my handle is Austin Palacios underscore. So A U S T I N P A L A C I O S underscore. And as well as my email is a Palacios at the which is our property management business. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course.